Working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey, everybody. This is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast, Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer, musician, and music educator, Ben Hands. Ben has shared the stage with a diverse list of artists, such as singer, songwriter, composer, and Grammy-nominated Kip Winger, legendary rudimentalist John S. Pratt and Mitch Markovich, as well as many great jazz musicians that you can find in our show notes. As an educator, Ben maintains a solid private teaching practice, as well as teaching music business at the SAE Institute in Nashville, Tennessee. Ben is also an author, proofreader, freelance editor, and session performer for Hal Leonard Publishing. Ben has published works that cover a wide range of topics, from traditional rudimental drumming, drum set soloing, as well as a full transcription of Ray Lugier's double bass drum techniques. Just a reminder, if you're compelled to support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, there are a couple different ways that you can donate. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash working drummer, where you can do a monthly donation at many different levels with many different prizes and incentives involved with that. We also have a PayPal button that we've put on the website, so if that is of interest, that might be an easy route for you. Anything and any amount is really helpful to the three of us keeping this thing rocking. We also have t-shirts available, and we've just designed that to be really simple. Just reach out to us through the contact page. To find out more about this episode and all the episodes that we've done over the last three years, you can find us at workingdrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, leave a rating and review It really helps us grow. Hey, everybody. For the next 12 months, we're going to be keeping you up to date with our friend Arjuna Contreras, or RJ, as he makes the move from Texas to Nashville. So at the end of this episode, you can listen to our quick conversation that gives us new news on what RJ is up to. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Hands. I teach at SAE Institute. Uh, right. Here in Nashville, uh, Music Row, and that's a school of uh, audio engineering and music business. So I'm on the music business side, mm-hmm. and this uh, this fall I'm going to teach music theory there. So uh, I love it there. I've been there since May of 2017. Okay. So when I'm in when I'm in town, I'm there uh, pretty much every week. Uh, got the lessons going on, and then um, I play I'm playing town in Nashville with an artist named Doug Allen. Okay. And uh, He's he's a singer songwriter. He writes all his own music. Uh, he's originally from Connecticut, and I met him on the road. He was opening for uh, for Kip Winger in Knoxville, uh, and uh, we got to talking. And that's the thing. I think it's it's really important to to, to network yeah. and meet people. And when I came to Nashville, Doug was one of the people that I contacted right away, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we started working together. So so for a lot of months over the last year, I was playing with him just about every week, just local. And were you working with Kip at the time? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean... Not to uh, jump around too right. much, but... Yeah, so I do, you know, some some things in town with, with Doug, and then with Kip, uh, it's, it's uh, not every week. So mm-hmm. it's every couple of weeks, maybe sometimes there's a gap of four to six weeks. Right. And it's usually like a three-day three, three day run, two to three days. Mm-hmm. 
which is actually great for me because I can get back into town and then teach during the yeah, week. So, right, right. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's uh, bouncing between all that kind of stuff. Sure, and sure. Then, and uh, I know, I know. When I ask that question, it's kind of pretty typical for someone to say, "Well, there really isn't a typical, yeah, a typical week." week right. But I know a lot of the teachers that I've spoken mm-hmm. with. There is a general consensus that consistency for especially young players is really important when it comes to teaching. You know. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, you need the repetition as a younger player and as someone studying the instrument. Well, I'm studying the instrument, you know. Oh, I'm, yeah, all, right. You so, are. We both are. We, yeah, I know. Right. You know, those things kick our butts all the time. On the instrument. But uh, the repetition and also uh, showing up to a lesson every week as a younger person and having that mentor there and also knowing that, oh boy, I better, I better get my stuff together because I'm going to go see Mr. Hands this week. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that mm-hmm. a lot of younger, younger people need that. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of times also younger people, uh, it's, it's a highlight of the week for them. And, you know, I'm, I'm as a teacher, I'm not looking at every student as somebody that's going to be a professional player or is going to do music for the rest of our lives but they can um but it's it's an enriching thing and and, you, and you know yeah. all about that um but it's a for younger kids and, and for uh, uh teenagers and young adults sometimes it's a highlight of the week for them to that's very true out, do a music lesson you know how long have you been teaching yeah great question uh i started private teaching when i was 20 so uh so 20 26 years i've been teaching okay and uh but yeah, I've been teaching for 26 years. I started private teaching uh, when I was in college, and I was scared to death, man. I remember driving to my first lessons. I, I took over a private lesson studio in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, when I was 20, for another drum teacher who was apparently falling asleep in the drum studio while I was teaching. And he's like, <laughs> the students are telling me, uh, yeah, you know, he'd say, play exercise seven. And, and I'd play it for like 10 minutes. I'd turn around, and he was sleeping against the wall. If he did show up, apparently. But anyway, I took over for this this other instructor and uh, quickly learned that I I needed to get better at teaching and build my my knowledge base. But also inspired me. Uh, I remember being really nervous doing it, you know. And they're just they were younger kids at the time, uh, and I was ahead of them. But I still I just wasn't. I wasn't sure you was know, it, how you I was going to approach it. Oh, I don't know. It was funny. I remember just driving to these lessons studio and, and when I was that age and just my pulse beating, go, oh, wow, I got to hmm. have it together and like, oh, what am I going to do with these kids and stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't have any curriculum or anything. You yeah. know, I was mm-hmm. just kind of uh, pinch hitting. And sure. uh, within about six months, I was totally in love with it. And then I uh, I had earned a, an associate's degree, but I went back for a, a bachelor's degree in music. Mm-hmm. Uh and that that teaching experience, private studio, it helped me get refocused and and stay with music. When I was that age, when I was about twenty one, I was doing those private lessons. And then, as you know, you know teaching teaching music makes you want to play more and focuses you. And having experiences working with different people, you learn different processes, different different ways to approach education and trying to explain things to people. Right. Because everyone learns differently. Some people are visual learners. Some people are audio learners. Some people have to 
really do something. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, yeah, that spurred me on to, to finish um, with school. And then I eventually worked to a, pl- a place where I wasn't in a music store, but I was I was uh, running my own studio. And I did that successfully in, in Wisconsin for like 20 years. Wow. Private lesson studio with, with some other music teachers. We just had a standalone academy. And uh-huh. I love it. I yeah. still love it. Yeah, that's, that's really a- awesome. That's one of the highlights of my week. I was just saying that before about the highlights of a young person's week to come to a lesson. It's a highlight of my week. So I, I really like the mentoring, the one-on-one kind of thing, and the relationship building. And I still have, I still have a lot of contact with a lot of my students that's that I've awesome. had throughout the years. That's great. Even if it's a text every four or five, six months, you mm-hmm. know, you go, "Hey, there's that some." So, yeah, I've been teaching a long time, and that also. That private teaching helped me uh, get it together for classroom teaching, which I enjoy as well. Okay. Um, yeah. How has your teaching evolved over that time? Or was there something you say within the six months you yeah. were kind of rolling? And was there a, an epiphany about mm. starting from scratch to getting to the place where you mm. were comfortable? Like, okay, this is essential. This is essential for making this successful. Mm. Well, I think. I think being organized is important and then also having some kind of a, a plan as far as like, you know, what kind of curriculum you're going to use, what kind of maybe books you're going to use or what, when students don't want to learn a lot of reading, you know, how are you going to approach this? Are you going to do mm-hmm. a lot of songs, you know, mm-hmm. just playing songs in the studio um, and the lesson, which is great. But I always tell students, you know, we'll work on songs for up to half the lesson and they say I need you to practice this somewhere at home so you know pl- taking a half hour drum lesson and making the kid play to Aerosmith mm-hmm. for half an hour it's great mm-hmm. but they can do that at home they could they should do that for five hours <laughs> right home. right right you know so breaking it up so you're doing maybe you're doing some rudiments you're doing some technique you're doing some some reading you're doing some actual playing I think that's a that's a big plus playing playing uh playing along with music or obviously playing with a metronome that's very important as well uh some applied things um what is this if i can visually draw this out let's see if i can do this without having uh, <laughs> a, a, a pencil and paper and, or a dry erase board i i think of a triangle and in that triangle there are the three points of getting it together and one of the corners of that triangle would be um you know technique and having your technique together. Right. Another part of that triangle will be um, playing music. So playing songs, um, knowing literature, knowing, uh, excuse me, not there yet, but uh, knowing artists. Yeah. So, you know, being able to to hear what's being played and play along, even if it's not perfect, but play. I tell students to play along with recordings and if, if they don't nail nail every figure, you know, you're learning the verse, you're learning the chorus, right. song forms, you're learning tempo, right. um, you're hearing the vocalist, you're hearing the guitar solos, you're hearing mm-hmm. changes in the tune and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it should be for many styles. And then the other third corner would be, um, you know, exercises, drills, and probably like reading, like maybe drum literature mm-hmm. and getting your reading chops together. Right. Um, not every drummer needs reading chops, but one of the things I wanted to to express, which I think has been important for me as a, as a musician, 
has been to be diverse in skill sets and be able to show up and play a big band gig and read the book, you know, and there's 50 charts and you got to read the DS forms and you Mm got to get the repeats and you have to play the figures right and kick the and beats and then be able to show up on a rock gig and rock it out and, you know, be able to show up on on a blues gig. So be diverse and then have lots of different styles of music that you can play and have your skill set together as a working drummer so you 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 can you can fulfill the needs you know like people are always um as you know we just had this discussion you know people are looking Mm -hmm. for for musicians uh Mm -hmm. to to fulfill needs on certain gigs and uh when when you get called for the gig you you want to be ready to do the gig you know and be prepared so if if a drummer can't read that limits them to not doing right. sh- maybe shows down you know down on uh, d- off Broadway show you know reading the book I mean yeah. uh, doing a, a, a maybe even a jazz job mm-hmm. uh, or a studio job where you have to read charts mm-hmm. in the session uh, so those types of things have allowed me to k- keep doing all kinds of diverse work. Um, so I have yeah, a, yeah. a scenario here. I have a, like I mentioned, I have a, one of my students is 58. Yeah. His girlfriend bought him a cajon. Awesome. And, uh, you know, he has no experience with music. So right. after banging around on it and getting polite nods from the other musicians, after a couple of years, he's like, I need to take lessons. Oh. No music experience yeah. at all. So my background being... Learning to read and and just you know very uh, the, just the educational side of things. I'm coming to him with that approach and saying, "Look, let's talk about this. Let's let's learn what quarter notes, eight sixteenths yeah. are, notes and rests, and how to write it. What mm-hmm. a what a measure is, and all these things that I would teach a young person that's." And band in school mm-hmm. because they have to know that. Right. Well, he doesn't have to know those things, but I'm trying to kind of deconstruct what is the driving force behind me wanting him to know this stuff. Mm. And I, I'm telling him that look, when we write this music, keep in mind the music came first throughout our history. Exactly. Then we needed to figure out how to get what we've composed to the next village. So we came up with a notation system and put it on a piece of paper, gave it to a guy on a horse and sent it over there. Ah, Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) and, and they wrote and they performed what you created, but the music came first. So you have to listen and you have to do this. And I'm trying to help connect what he sees to what he's feeling and hearing and translating to his hands. So, I think where I'm going with all this is I know you probably have students that don't require uh, a knowledge of theory and writing and reading Mm -hmm. to the degree that a high school or college student would. But I'm guessing that's still part of what you... What I do? Yeah. The reason I I do that and... And why? (laughs) That's great. That's a great question. I'll tell you the answer. Um, I always teach those fundamentals because it's imperative as a musician that you have the music language so yeah. that you can talk to the bass player and yeah. you can understand what quarter notes are and eighth notes. Yeah. And if the guy says shuffle or, you know, there's a music term, what, what's a good example? Uh, 
you know, tacit. <laughs> right. What, what what the hell is a tacit? What are yeah, you talking yeah, about? Yeah, is that yeah. my head? What's going? So yeah. you you have. I think as a teacher, you have to expose people to all those types of things, so that when they get into playing situations or, or musical situations, that they're, they're gonna try. You know, you're gonna try and prepare them for what. Right. And and it's again, it's the music language. And you know, right. it's and there's there's like almost regional things too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I always come. I, I tell students like, think about this, right? My goal as a teacher, not only is to teach you music, but when you leave me at one point or another in our relationship, you will stop taking lessons and you'll move on. You're going to become an adult and get married and move to Minnesota. Anyway, <laughs> you, what happens is... Um, the kids are going, why Minnesota? Yeah, right, man. Um, you, you're developing the language and, and we can sit here and talk and you know communicate, but then... If I were to write you a note, you know, and say, "Hey, do check this out or whatever," here's a web link to this cool website, and I and I gave it to you, and you couldn't read it. There's a problem in communication. Mm-hmm. So, as far as a teacher, as far as my responsibility, I think as a as a teacher of music that I should be sharing that that communication written with the student, and mm-hmm. that's why I still I I I. I understand what you're feeling like when you're telling me the story because you, you struggle with it and you go, gosh, how much time do I have to spend on reading these notes because this guy just wants to play this one thing. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's valuable because I always tell students too, you want to be able to, to teach yourself. Exactly. Because you are yeah. your own teacher. Right. Right. Constantly. And you are responsible for your own education in the yeah. end. No yeah. matter what I show you, you have to study it, and you have to be responsible enough to mm. to put it in your body, in your brain, mm-hmm. and and make music out of it. Yeah. So, if these notes, written notes, will help you somewhat, that's another tool in the toolbox. <laughs> right. So you have that. I'm always trying to make sure that whoever I'm teaching can recognize the parts that they're hearing when we listen to something, mm. so that and differentiate between. The different parts of the drum set, yeah. different parts of the band, right. whatever it is, so that the learning continues. And that's that, all part of my idea, where you have those three sides. You've got the yeah. the technique part, and you've got the like the exercises and literature and drills, mm-hmm. and then you've got the music part, where mm-hmm. if you put all this together, and in the center of that you have musician, right? Because right. if you but you got to hit on all three of those parts. You can't just be. And I've had students, and you know people. They're they're great readers, but they can't improvise. I've had students. I say, okay, let's let's. Why don't you create an ostinato on this quarter note on the bass drum, and let's just improvise with those same eighth notes and triplets. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Because there's different parts of their brain that are that mm-hmm. are doing these things. So yeah, totally. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> playing along with recordings and and playing live with people. That's that's where it's at. You know, that's that's very important and. Um, the the right the right the written drum notation is just another yeah. way to get to places we need to get to. Right, um, it's important in the whole scope of things. But yeah, there are plenty of plenty of stories. I, I don't know. I heard this story it could be true or not, but uh, <laughs> that Buddy Rich could never read. But man, I wouldn't challenge him to a drum. Right, a it, drum it, off. No way, man. Did, uh, <laughs> was Papa Joe Jones in the same camp? I thought I heard. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. I also heard yeah. Art Blakey couldn't read a lick either. You know, these yeah. guys 
were incredible drummers. Uh, I always heard the story that that uh, Buddy Rich would get a sub drummer and then like he would play with the arrangements and read the charts and then Buddy would come up and play the hell out of the thing because he heard it <laughs> once, you know, and he could okay. just play the whole tune, right? Or something. I mean, these are stories, but yeah. but I, I don't think uh, just being a great reader is is going to teach you to be a great drummer. You're going right. to do all those types of things. And I think you got to play music. That's what you have to do. You have to get I, to the I know, music. I, you got to jam yeah. with guys and, and right. it's, it's all that time putting in the time. You, you mentioned, you know, being able to read, to be able to read big band charts and, and you know, being... It's going it, away though, don't you think? I mean, oh my gosh. I, I think so, <laughs> but I, I think what I, what I want to get, what I want to try and get to is, is the value of yeah. reading and how yeah. it, it can be applied in many different situations because totally. I don't play big band anymore. Yeah, but I use the skills that I learn from Correct. reading yeah. to write drum charts for pop gigs. Sure. So, like, our, right. the the I play with Ricky, Ricky oh. Wagner, uh, who's connected us. I had a day and a half to prepare, and I knew half the songs. It was mostly cover songs, but there was a lot of originals. I, you know, I had to sit down and write charts. Well, and I, I put pictures of my charts up on social media from time to time uh-huh. to get a good laugh. Uh-huh. But I have some friends that have done jazz drummers, drum corps guys that look at my charts and say, yeah, I see what you're doing. Sure. I can read that. Yeah. Where most people think it's, it's just nuts. But it's all, it's either a combination of classical you know, using tacit, using those things, and big band arrangements, mm-hmm. and how helpful it's been. So I'm not pushing my method, but what I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm saying is I th- I think that reading is is continues to be helpful. Totally for any situation, even well, if you can visualize. I've heard people say say things like, um, "I don't want to learn how to read because it's going to mess up my my thing." I'm like. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. It has nothing to do with that, right? I mean, why? I think people fight it because they're just damn lazy. They don't yeah. want to learn how to do it. Yeah, they want to yeah, learn sure. what are the drum tabs? One of those zeros and X's and stuff on the oh, internet. I don't know. I've yeah. had students through the years bring, bring me a Blink One Eighty Two drum tab, and it's all these messed up X's and plus signs, and I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, and it's mostly wrong. <laughs> When you go and through, it seems and you, like as much work. Let me show you what's wrong with this Travis Barker uh, tab because here's the beat, and you write it out for them, and they're like, "Whoa, okay." But I don't know. I it, it's an important part of the whole process. And again, I was run back to like, um, if you can read music, you can teach yourself, and that's that's a valuable. Okay, thing. I love that. I love that. It's a valuable thing. Tell me about SAE teaching Great. there because mm-hmm. uh, my understanding, a limited understanding, is yep. I thought it was a, a sound school. Right. Right. So they have two kind of two uh, programs. Mm-hmm. They've got the audio, what you're referring to, audio production uh, program. Yeah. Uh, so you're learning to uh, record music, uh, working a lot with DAWs, okay. uh, Logic and Pro Tools. And uh, they've really expanded uh, recently. They, they launched a, um, a bachelor program. So now there are really a lot of courses there. They have game audio and uh, a lot of mastering type courses, wow. and really advanced Concepts and really great teachers on that audio side. It's pretty pretty amazing. And then the other side where I work uh, mostly is um, what they call the entertainment business side. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly music business, but it's been growing to like uh, um, uh, comedians and actor, wow. like talent agent kind of approach. You know, as the as the industry is kind of changing, but it's mostly geared toward music business and talking about. Um, 
uh, management and publishing and mm-hmm. understanding uh, marketing, advertising, copyright, um, mm-hmm. getting connected with Music Row and all the different things that are available, sure. like out the door. <laughs> We're right across from BMI. Right. And around the corner, for well, the Musicians Union building is right there too. Yeah. But CSAC's right there and, and Music Row is right there. So it's a great location. I really enjoyed spending time there and teaching there. And uh, I've, I've been doing that since uh, May of 2017. So okay. I was able to make that change because for about 20 years, I taught in Milwaukee at uh, Milwaukee Area Technical College. Okay. And they have an associates program there. Mm-hmm. And I was a student there. So uh, I was really fortunate because uh, after I graduated, I went to uh, University of Wisconsin. And uh, as I mentioned, I got my uh, my bachelor's in uh, I think right after I, I graduated, I was like twenty, late twenties. I got hired on to MATC to teach there, and it was—I mm-hmm. was again—I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really prepared for that. I, I never thought I'd be a teacher, mm-hmm. actually. But within a short period of time, I, I fell in love with with teaching at the collegiate level, and I taught uh, music business courses there for many, many years, and learned a lot of things on my own, and watched the whole music industry as you have you know mm-hmm. turn upside down and inside out and right. everything that we grew up with that was traditional uh is out the window uh so i i had a lot of experience teaching that and that made it an easier jump to to come down to nashville and teach music I business ask. because yeah, right. i taught that for a lot of years as i taught percussion too i taught music theory courses and jazz history and mm-hmm. uh, piano lab courses and mm-hmm. all kinds of different things while I was there. But I enjoyed that very much. I, I loved it and I miss it. Hmm. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it. I miss it. I do miss it. I miss the camaraderie of my peers okay. there. And, uh, yeah. but, but it was great learning experience for me to be there and really prepared me for Nashville for coming down. And, In a particular and so, way or... Oh, just, just, uh, you know, just kind of actually kind of growing up, you know, lecturing and, and being in a classroom and working with students and again, learning how to, how to, how to, um, deal with different learning processes with students. Cause every, I mean, some people aren't going to listen to you in the lecture nowadays. It's even worse. They're on their phone the whole time. Mm. And so you have to get to them different ways and change up the classroom and, as we talk about SAE, t- uh, turn the classroom. So, you know, getting the students to, to participate in some of the the activities that happen in the classroom or presentations and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, just, just the experience of doing that for a lot of years and uh, dealing with multiple multiple students, you know, throughout the day, okay. <laughs> classrooms full of people and then group lessons on drums and, mm-hmm. you know... Um, and then different levels and abilities in Milwaukee. It was a lot, a lot of that, and that's a good thing to think about as if you're going to teach. And I, I would recommend that any drummer that thinks that they would like to teach, they should try it because yeah. it, it'll really enrich you. And, and helping people in that way with music, it's it's rewarding to the student, but it's also rewarding to the teacher. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it is but, so much. I, I, I've had so many friends that teach, uh, have a, a, a large roster of students, and they tell me one of the greatest things that they experience is just how much it helps their own playing 
by sitting down and going back to the basics that you felt like you were way beyond. One of the benefits of learning as a drummer to read and write music is that you can read and write other, you know, melodic music too. And that's a benefit. And you can be a songwriter and that's where you can earn record, you're going to earn royalties on songs, songwriting royalties, because they're, you know, record royalties are bottomed out. And you have, I mean, you talk to everybody about it. And, and, and there's no reason for me to sit here and complain. We're all in the same boat. But the, the streaming royalties are 0.001. Every time I look at my streaming royalties, it's, wow. Yeah, and and I'm not going to get bummed out about it because there's yeah. you, what you have to do is accept it because it's not going to change. And then you have to look at the other opportunities. A lot of people who are maybe getting into the music business don't understand all the opportunities that they have because you have a huge, um, slightly misunderstood or people don't comprehend the publishing side of things. Mm. So the song uses uh, uses synchronizations. Uses in in TV and movies, mm-hmm. TV commercials. Uh, I think for us in our generation, we we can remember people saying like, "Oh man, I I'm not going to put my song on on a TV commercial. That's selling out." You know, I remember the first time I heard Led Zeppelin on a Cadillac commercial. I'm like, "Whoa!" But they were even ahead of the game, you know, because yeah. uh, you're licensing this music that you wrote uh, and. There is a legacy to that music, and if you have even a semi-hit, you, you, you can you can use that in different ways. Right uh, nowadays, you've got video games, and mm-hmm. uh, man, even these like greeting cards. Like, yeah. My mom gave me this greeting card; it had Jerry Lee Lewis in it. I'm like, hey, Jerry Lee's getting a royalty for this. It's pretty cool, man. Uh, you kept opening it. Great balls of fire it. kept yeah. coming on all the time. Yeah. Two cents, two cents, two cents. <laughs> um, yeah, so so streaming is here. Uh, I think there's going to be something after streaming. I don't know what it is. I wish I knew. I, we could go into business together. Yeah, there you go. Right Let's now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Uh, but I've got microphones. It's obviously going to happen. Um, uh, I think it's awesome that you can get, you know, in our generation here, I don't sound like an old guy. Damn it. No, it's, it's cool. <laughs> we, 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 I worked in a record store in Wisconsin called The Exclusive Company. And uh, <laughs> it was a legendary Wisconsin music store. I worked there for a, lot, a long time. And you had to go to the record store and buy a record yeah. and pay, you know, come to the counter. And if we didn't have it, we had to write a handwritten order slip. And I would say to the customer, um, okay, thanks. Uh, I'll get you this Nirvana record in f- two weeks. It'll be in when it ships from oh, I don't know, Sub Pop or something, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was a long period of time. And now, instead of two weeks, it's two seconds on your phone. I know, I know. And we have a whole world of music and recording and history, and it's so accessible. And that is so awesome. It's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. But it's also kind of overloading. And then. Getting back to the teacher side of me, it's like um, trying to remind young people, like, um, you should be listening to this or that or the other thing, because a lot of people don't know what to listen to or don't know. It's almost too much. There's there's too too much, much, right? There's so much input all the time, and it's not just streaming audio and YouTube and everything, which is really amazing in itself. But yeah, as far as trying, I'm getting a little off base, but um, I think there's going to be something after streaming, and I think you have to look at all the different possibilities with with your song, um, 
with your publishing and, and with sync deals and, and licensing. And that's where a lot of the money is today. Okay. With with songwriting. So there is like a silver lining to what has changed. Some of the change that has occurred. Is that what you're saying? Well, there are a lot of people making a lot of money in the music business, you know. Still. And, oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. We but it's some, changed. Yeah, it's adaptation. Yeah. I mean, that's human life. It's you nothing stays the same. It's not right. going to. Right. Um it's gonna keep evolving. So uh, you just kinda gotta stay in with the times or a little ahead of it and right. you know, you can't hold on to I always find it fascinating uh, speaking with different players on the podcast, working with different band members and different musicians of all ages, and you find yourself in a situation where maybe the guitar player is 20 years younger than you. Yeah. Or, gosh, I played with an 18-year-old guitar player last yeah. week who was yeah. phenomenal. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and then... Um, gosh, the bass player I played with uh, in San Diego uh, is almost 60. Mm-hmm. And everybody's perspective is a little bit different and, yeah. and, and how things have changed. And I, I find that a lot of players my age maybe found a way to do things and it's that doesn't exist anymore. And they're frustrated yeah. and bitter. And, and, and this is, you know, I'm just talking about a, a very specific type of, of person that does this not... That not kind of like weak old bakery, right? They're just... Yeah. It's just, yeah, like this is like this worked at one time and it's not working anymore. And I, I'm not ready to change. And then I, I know wonderful musicians in their early twenties and it's like, they're just, they're not even thinking about that stuff. They're not thinking the way it was. That's not their life. It's not their experience. And so I, I always really, I, I'm always really fascinated kind of picking their brain. It's like, so what are you doing? Like how... Mm. How are you making a living at mm-hmm. this? Um, so isn't that the thing, right? Yeah. So I'm not I'm not stereotyping mm-hmm. people of certain ages, but I just find that there are those that understand that uh, the only consistency is change. Yeah, that's that's the truth. And uh, you have to learn to adapt, and it's it's not easy, um, but. Um, yeah, it's just nice to know that there are ways to make a living. You just have to, and I think those changes uh, can be inspiring as well. So, oh yeah, well yeah, it's just I think it's it's just I think the the best thing I could I could tell younger drummers uh, or, or people trying to get into this and, and try to make make money at it uh, mm-hmm. is is the best thing to do is is to be diverse in your skill set and. Uh, Remember that there's value in what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and don't always, sometimes you have to do things for free, right? There's like mm-hmm. benefit concerts or there's, you're playing a house party or something, you know, you're doing it for a friend. But, you know, try to try to get to a point where you're just not, you're just not giving away all your music and you're just not giving away all your performances all the time, you know, and, and you're building up some value in what you're doing. Right. And you do that enough and you, you practice enough and you, you you make enough music and and uh, I always tell um, my people you know like try to get to a point where you don't sound just like Neil Peart or just like Steve Gadd or just I mean mm-hmm. those guys are great you know mm-hmm. you, we should all listen to that but but be your own drummer right. be yourself because that's when you're going to get called to right. do stuff right because they're going to go oh we need a drummer and and uh, boy I just heard Matt mm-hmm. <laughs> just heard Matt last week why don't you call Matt he sounds great because mm-hmm. you sound like yourself yeah. You know, instead of a clone or something like that, but but have a lot of 
have a lot of tricks in your toolbox, tricks yeah. in your bag. Right. Have a, have a big toolbox, and for me, that's allowed me to have a music career because right. I, I I do other things than just play the drums. So give me a, give me just a quick list of yeah. all the things. I think we've we've covered much of this. So we've got yeah. teaching. Yeah. So the teaching thing. Uh, I uh, work for Hal Leonard Publishing. I've been with them yeah. for boy, it's been a while. Uh, but what I wanted to say years. was like, so teaching, performing, oh, performing, writing, writing, songwriting, uh-huh. uh, you, you, um, you've got different avenues. Um, you could be, a, you know, a ranger, yeah. you know, but I mean you specifically, me, me specifically, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah. So like so, just to, just to show there's how right. you've, yeah, it. well for me, I'm, I'm teaching, you know, music in general. So it's not just drumming. So, you know, yeah. as a, as a percussionist, you know, knowing about, Knowing about music, so yeah. teaching music theory, um, teaching the history of music, uh, oh, yeah. teaching the music business side. Um, so diversity within diversity, teaching, yeah. diversity within performing, yeah, diversity within writing. Because right. I want to get into this, the books that you have here. So we have rudimental books, right, all the way to Ray Luger's double bass drum technique yeah, that you've transcribed. Um. What was your inspiration to to write these? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's an interesting um, evolution for me. Uh, I was really fortunate where I lived uh, for so many years because in in Milwaukee, there's uh, uh, the largest print music publisher in the world, Hal Leonard Music Publishing. Okay. They're, they're okay. in town. And a lot of my uh, classmates that I went to college with uh, got jobs there. Wow. And a lot of my friends who played music in, in the city worked for them. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of networking connections with them. So uh, I took some odd jobs with the publishing company doing um, editing work on just odd pieces of music. I remember doing Japanese versions of piano, vocal, guitar books, and they were like... <sighs> You had to you had to like edit the words. They would they would say it was like um, Nirvana, uh, uh, a whole uh, in utero album, and you had to look at the lyrics to make sure it was like it was the English words were right or something. Right, like, okay, I love woo. I mean, I'm not stereotyping. It's just like the spellings were wrong. Sure, so it's just weird kind of jobs uh, with with uh, proofreading and editing, and I, I liked it. And I did some some texts, and then I eventually worked into some uh, drumming books. And what happened was, uh, I uh, I remember editing some some drum books and proofreading them. And after I got done, they were pretty good books. But after I got done, I I, I told the people I was working with that, hey, I I think I could write books just like this, or or make them a lot better. Yeah. And they said, well, let's see something. So. I put together a proposal, and I put together some really, I think, really looking back, awful <laughs> early compositions. And I wrote um, some music for snare drum and, and drum set, and I submitted that. And within a week, I heard back, and Rick Mattingly, who's a really heavy-duty uh, person in the music industry, in the drum, specifically yeah. in drumming uh, and a drum community and, and publishing and article writing uh he he liked my work and uh first you know i was i was shocked and they said yes let's 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 do something right away i was i was shocked because 
I mean, I was in my early mid twenties and, and, uh, it, I, I figured it was going to take a while, sure, you know, like, yeah. well, I, you know, and I didn't have a big name or anything. Yeah. And like I was, I was doing, doing some work for the company and they seemed to like, like me there, but I, 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 it was a great opportunity. So they said, I proposed three, three books and you know, this funny, your podcast, this is the name of the the book that I came out with first. It's called Workin' Drums. Yeah. Right. Nice. So working drums is just basically kind of like drum set solos. You yeah, and you brought and these books I for for those that them. don't yeah. aren't seeing what you, what you have here. But I'm I'm so glad you brought them. Uh, this book actually is really interesting to me because playing a lot of music as you we were discussing before, uh, just working that side of your brain of improvisation and and drum soloing and things like that. I don't have a lot of opportunity to do that, and so I want to spend my my own time. Yeah working in that. And so when I see books like this, again, I love working out of books or I always have. And so when I have the time, mm. I saw this and I'm like, I'd like to see more about this. I had a lot of, a lot of good feedback on this thing. It's the first one that, that was, uh, that, that came out and it's, I, I think hopefully pedagogically sound. It has a, like a process where it goes from two beat single note thing, uh, phrasing and everything, basic grooves and, and, and four and eight bar phrases to more complex feels and, and reggae. And there's some soca stuff in here and some, some jazz and some funk and everything. And it gets harder as you go through, but I've, I've had adults and younger kids, you know, work on this and I've had really good, uh, success results, uh, through it. But in the text, if, if you ever read, people ever read the front of the book, it says you're supposed to learn the songs or learn the pieces of music, I should say, the exercises, and then start improvising in the style of that. So you don't sound like my ideas. You sound like, oh, I got this idea from Ben, but I want to play something else. And, and that's important. But your ideas are steeped in the style that they're, yeah. that you're saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, you know, you, you use, you could use some of these exercises it's really just a drum set exercise book mm-hmm. um, to to hopefully come up with your own your own figures and your own ideas I've had some real success uh, play using play alongs I'm a big fan of the Tommy Igo uh, groove essentials collection yeah, right and through the years I've used the groove essential tracks mm-hmm. which are really great mm-hmm. and uh, because some most of the song most of the most of the uh, pieces of music in this work in drums book are eight, 12, 24, 32 bars. They're, you know, you could, you could dress them up on, on a lot of pieces of music. So they, they work with a lot of the, I go, that's my point. <laughs> they work with the, I go tracks pretty simply, pretty easily. It's fun. But it, it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about before when I was trying to explain to my student reading, you know, exp- uh, teach him that as a vehicle and he keeps going back to it, but you're you're using this like, hey, look, this is the style. This here's some ideas. Now, go from here. Use this as a launching pad to create your own. Totally. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's that. the idea. And then and then you know, in there, I've got little little uh, segments of of the solos where you have ideas like there's you know you build ostinato with bass drum quarter notes in the first few exercises. And so we go, when, we, when I do lessons, we always talk about, okay, okay, Tommy, <laughs> let's, let's take that chord note bass drum and now let's build, you know, some stuff on top of that, you know? And, and, uh, so you, I use, I use the, the examples in, in, in any kind of book, but especially in that one to help stimulate improvisation mm-hmm. within a lesson. Right. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, is there something that you're using to draw inspiration from for creating the, the different passages? Or oh, yeah. do you sit down and come question. up with something and maybe record it? Yeah. Or, you know. Great question. I'd have to say that, I guess I'm proud to say, most of the stuff that I've, I've, I've come up with on my own, my, my materials, I've composed it from my brain. Uh-huh. And then written it out. Uh-huh. And then sat down and then tried to play it. Yeah. So I let that composition side of my brain come through and write the music. So yeah. I wasn't just sitting behind a drum set and like, oh, it's a cool groove and let me just write this out. Now, there's a couple spots where that happened. But right, right. most of the time it was just like, okay, I had been teaching for so many years. <laughs> what are some things that everybody has trouble with let's address those you know like here's a three over two pattern let's just try those fills and then here's a four over three thing or here's one and a two and on the symbol because people are having a hard time with that or something like that Uh or here's some exercises where you're using the shup sound you're using the open close hi-hat let's let's drill that down Mm -hmm. and i i love this this i really like this text because then I can supplement it with all those other great drum books that you you probably have a bunch of them too. You know, the David Garibaldi Future oh, Sounds yeah, or totally. <laughs> the, the Latham uh, Funk Drumming Book. I mean, there's there's so many great ones. Mm-hmm. But then we I, I can pull some of those drills or you know patterns mm-hmm. in in a lesson and say, oh, this is you know here's some stuff that relates to this and. We can go off in a different direction and stuff like that. So, and it's so funny that you you, you talk about that because I, with all the different books that I've worked out of, I don't know if other people are like this, but I find a a couple chapters or a couple parts of each book and work out of it almost yes. like stick control or something like that. There's like those essential pages or future sounds where I've got you know like three or four tracks that yeah. I'll mess around with over the years and. But to go from beginning to end has never been as as important, you know? And it's hard to do that. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff in a lot of these There's people. a lot of stuff. And you st- got frustrated. You get frustrated. And then YouTube came along. Yeah, YouTube. Here's a <laughs> lesson I, I learned. One of my music mentors, I've had a lot of great teachers. I was really fortunate. But one of my music mentors was this fellow named Jack Grassle. He's a great uh, guitar player in Wisconsin. He wrote a book called Power Practicing which is great. Oh, wow. And in the book, there's a lesson in there and it talks about playing through books. <laughs> and what is it? If I can remember most of this right, I think I can. Uh, he says, you should leave a number of books on your music stand for variety. So leave them up there. And when you walk into your practice room, you have three or four, maybe five books there. And you can, if you get bored, you open another one, right? But don't, like you mentioned, don't open Future Sounds, David Garibaldi, and try to play the whole book in one sitting the first week. What happens? You go through the first pages and you play the first ones all right, and then the second unit, you get, oh, I'm stuck. You know, it's sort of like you get, you might get hung up on some stuff, and then you get frustrated, and then you're like, ah, I'm going to quit this today or whatever. Yeah. Uh, The idea that he says in the Power Practicing is that you try to work through and don't play it perfectly, but try to work through and get the muscle memory and get the action happening. Mm. It's for all musicians. Mm-hmm. But f- try to work the figures and just generally try to understand it as if you were 
a fifth grader reading a high school textbook and you're trying to understand what was going on mm-hmm. in this, you know, in this paragraph or whatever. But you move through it and you try to get through uh, as much as you can. And the first time you play Future Sounds or any other type of book, right? Uh, it might take you months to yeah. finish it or a year. Mm-hmm. And then the second time you play it, it might take you three months. Mm-hmm. Then the third time you play it, it might take you a month, and it wheedles down to a point where your your skill set has gotten so much better that you could play a text, a, a book of of music or, or, or drill book in, in just a few hours or in an hour or so. You know, yeah, work yeah, through yeah. all the exercises because sure. your skill level has increased over mm-hmm. a period of time, and you haven't gone, oh my gosh, David Garibaldi's so good, I'll never be this good. I can't get through page. 24, whatever, mm-hmm. I'm putting this book away, I, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You don't get that frustration kicking in mm-hmm. and stopping, you know? Yeah. So, And then when your brain gets tired of one thing, then you switch to, like, you know, uh, John Riley's uh, jazz drumming books right. or something, totally. Art of Bob Drumming. You say, oh, I'm going to just change it up and do this for a while or do stick control or right, something right, else or break right. out the old Ted Reed. And, mm-hmm. But you have a variety. I think that's important, and I teach like that. <laughs> I try to give them – I don't say, here, take my textbook, work on drums, and work work through this only thing. You know, this only this is the only thing you're going to play. We do, we do a lot of different things, so you try to vary it up. But so my point is uh, – um, it's frustrating as you're growing as a musician on any instrument, um, but but uh, I think I think overall in life too you can be your own worst enemy. So yeah, uh, there, there's got to be ways that you kind of overcome uh, you know frustration or or just just feeling like you're not going to be good at this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you got to trick your mind in, into it, and uh, the only way to get good is you have to practice. You got to put the time. Yeah, in. yeah. No, I find myself. You know, I keep all my books, and I, right. and I I'll go through yeah. them, and I'm like, this. I need to go back, and or or I, I find inspiration in a, in a new book, um, and and work out of it for a while. But then life happens, and then I have totally. to learn songs for a paying gig. Yeah. Or uh, I just don't have time to practice, yeah. or I've got a family that requires totally. more attention than when yeah. I was 17 years old. Yeah. But <laughs> but those books still, I really enjoy work. I you know I it I have this fantasy of like, what if I just could take a sabbatical and just spend all my time in the practice room? Right. <laughs> you know, one of those kind of crazy people. No, I totally dig that. I I I know what you mean. I have those same thoughts, believe it or not. <laughs> and we both can read, so we can go into our practice room That's right. and get out our five books right now and go to practice. We should go practice right now. So I want to actually, yeah. I wanted to ask you about early in your development. All right. You cite a couple teachers, a oh. clarinetist and a guitar player. Is that oh, right? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, we assume you're, dr- and you mentioned drum teachers that you yeah. had. Right. But you, uh, more on more than one occasion, or maybe it's just the recycled bio, uh, these yeah. people seem to be really important. Yeah, sure. So um, for me, I got started at a younger age. Uh, I was really lucky. I had uh, an opportunity. I'm, I'm really a product of the public school system band programs across the country. They're amazing nice. teachers yeah. there. And those teachers inspire people every day. But I, I was really lucky because I had a, a situation when I was young, 
must have been about 10. I auditioned for band. I chose the drums, and I had to audition. It was either that or trombone. Mm. We'd be talking about a lot of different things right now. Yeah. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be an odd guest, even though we had a keyboard player wow. on two weeks ago. But that's, oh, okay. that's great. Right. <laughs> but I was really fortunate. Um, the teacher that I had, uh, his name was Evan Fisher, and he was a fantastic drummer. And uh, he, he chose me for drums. And I played drums all the way through high school and everything. And uh, I had a lot of great experiences because we, we had a steel band, and I played in the jazz band, and we had percussion ensembles, and we would skip our lunch periods and go and practice wow. and run all kinds of charts and play at these festivals. And he was a really inspiring teacher. High school. Yeah, middle school. And middle school. school. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. And he was a rudimental drummer, uh-huh. so I got a lot of, uh, I guess, the old Haskell Haar stuff and the old Ludwig stuff, and yeah. got kind of schooled on that. And um Kind of inspired me to to continue after after uh, after high school, and I bounced around a little bit in college. But I was really fortunate because I ended up in Milwaukee with uh, this fellow I mentioned before, uh, Jack Russell, mm-hmm. and he's a, um, a fantastic, fantastic musician, and he was a mentor to me. So uh, he was an instructor to me, and then eventually I ended up working with him. I used mm-hmm. to go and sit in with him, and then sooner or later he started hiring me for for gigs jazz gigs and he had he has a songbook of really advanced music a lot of odd time jazz tunes and funk tunes and uh really schooled me on on uh, reading charts and mm-hmm. playing musically and everything and in his band i think everybody was 20 years older than me <laughs> so i think that's a good lesson for everyone is that you need to surround yourself with people who are better than you and yeah. that's how you grow right. and i think you can have bad experiences if you surround yourself in a band with people who aren't as good or won't be trying to be as good. Yeah. But you surround yourself with you know really expert musicians, and you grow. So I was able to grow quickly, and I practiced a lot to play in that band. But I was really lucky, too, in my community. I had this uh, older gentleman named Chuck Hedges, who was a, a legendary clarinet swing clarinet player. Mm-hmm. He was on Delmark mm-hmm. Records out of Chicago. And, okay. He, my first teaching gig, I mentioned earlier before, uh, I started teaching private lessons in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, at this little shop. And uh, in the drum studio in the back, across the way, was a repair shop. And he was the repair guy in this music shop. And he's this legendary clarinet player, mm-hmm. a swing clarinet player, and uh, lots lots of recorded music uh, by him. But anyway, he kind of took me under his... his uh, tutelage a little bit and we used to talk a lot at the music store so yeah those two guys were really important and they hired me as a young drummer in my 20s to play this music hmm. which i was learning yeah and i'm still learning uh, sure but, no, I but i was i was coming from a rock i have a rock background and a marching band background and stuff uh-huh. like that so i was learning to play jazz and then i got really really inspired to play jazz music and i had some really other some really fantastic uh, drum teachers through the uh, years to uh, vicky jenks in wisconsin and uh, a fellow named terry smurl who taught me a lot about jazz music and then uh, john becker so yeah i had i was really uh, really fortunate to have great great drum teachers um that really i want to interject me. here just real quick because i know that rudimental drumming yeah. is, is a big part of where your interests lie yeah, what you me, teach yeah. and, and mm-hmm. what you do I, I also, in listening to your jazz record, the, mm. the trio that you put out yeah, thanks, uh, a number of years ago, you play the jazz like a jazz drummer. 
it doesn't sound like okay. Here's this <laughs> this roll, this rough that's going to be. Let me know, play this drag, double drag. Right, right. right. Yeah. There's a there's a sharp distinction and yeah. and adapting that yeah, style. So. Uh, that that is, yeah. I you know I really enjoy playing rudimentary, yeah, rudimental Isn't snare drums. It's really it's really fun, but yeah. it, it 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 there's there's so much about it that doesn't swing though. True. Yeah. That, um, but but anyways, I just have to interject that it's just really it's like wow, I'm, I'm hearing like strong skill sets in completely two different styles. Oh, yeah, that's really great. Thanks. Yeah, um, I love rudimental drumming. And it comes from Evan Fisher and all those years as a young musician. And then um, I think I'd like to tell everybody that they really should look at the Percussive Arts Art Society, uh, mm-hmm. pas dot org, and. Uh, every every November, it's the PAS, PASIC convention, or PASIC, as some people say. P-A-S-I-C. Mm-hmm. It's the convention. Uh, I believe it's in Indianapolis this year again. Anyway, they, okay. they move it, it around the country. Forth, yeah, right. right, yeah. I think from Texas and then Indianapolis. Yeah, mm-hmm. they move it around. Um, but as a student, I, I, I joined uh, PAS, and then I had the pleasure of going for, I don't know, like four, five, six years, right in a row. And... Um, it felt like finishing school because all of a sudden I was like bouncing into Peter Erskine, like, you know, standing there. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, excuse me. You know, and riding the elevator with Ed Thigpen and going to see Dennis Chambers and like um, all these great uh, orchestral players. And this guy, Ian Finkel, this fantastic xylophone player mm. and seeing this happen, all these concerts and workshops and clinics and being around all these drummers who are like, this is how I'm feeling and they're the same way and everybody's like yeah it's drums and everybody's just Mm -hmm. totally into it it's just an amazing experience and I was really lucky because um, I saw this presentation and I'm losing track of years it may have been in Nashville or Columbus I can't recall but it was in early 2000s and I went to a workshop with a performance with Mitch Markovich uh, Mm. John S. Pratt and Marty Hurley. Uh, okay. Marty had uh, worked with the Phantom Regiment, and uh, Mitch Markovich wrote uh, Stamina and Tornado, a lot of really great standards for marching drum, and he's a fantastic drummer. And then John S. Pratt, who who I had taught uh, out of his 14 Modern Contest solos book for many, many years, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe I was seeing these guys, and especially Pratt, because I really had an affinity for his music, and I, I loved it. And so they each played... And Marty Hurley came out and played great. And then uh, Pratt came out, and I heard something in his playing that it was like, really, it, it was like, that's how I envisioned him sounding and everything. And so it was a moving experience. I remember being in tears. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Because he was 70-something at the time, and he was kind of not in the public eye. And, and a lot of drummers might not even know about him. But Janice Pratt... Gonna, I was going to ask you, that you're, you know, you're anticipating my question, because uh, it's ama- it would be amazing for me to think that there are those that don't know his name from his it's, books, yeah. but just for those that maybe don't. All right. Yeah. Oh, I need to mention before I lose yeah. the topic, uh, Markovich sounded amazing too, and they turned out the lights, and he played with uh, glow-in-the-dark sticks and played stamina, and it was like brought the house down, and the guy was ridiculous. He's such a great, great drummer. Wow. Anyway, Pratt. So, uh, John S. Pratt, uh, he he was a part of the West Point Hellcats and mm-hmm. ended up as the instructor for field music at West Point for over 10 years mm-hmm. and retired in 1969. And during that time, he wrote a bunch of music. And 
it was published in, in 1959 as a bunch of different books, but he had written a whole tome of things. And I remember him telling me he shopped it around. Nobody would publish the whole set of books, and he kind of lost hope. But at the last moment, the, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Bellwin Publishing at the time decided they put out some of his music but in, in, cut it up in smaller books. So 14 Modern Contests Solos is the title of this book, but it was like sliced and diced. Uh, music uh, from this collection and it became a drum standard and it had a lot of over the bar line figures that weren't necessarily um, the way that things had been written for its time it was very advanced and there were some like reverse stickings and uh, patterns that people weren't using and some of the music was harder for people to play at the time I remember him telling me that um people thought some of it was somewhat unplayable and he actually said a lot of older drummers in the early 1960s told him that he was ruining rudimental drumming which wow. is hard for a lot of people to yeah. kind of conceptually deal with uh so anyway that eventually through the decades that became a, a drum standard and i remember seeing that on all kinds of contest lists across the country and taught at berkeley school of music and hmm. it's it's heralded around the world uh, amongst us drummers and it's just a really a collection of snare drum solos but i was so inspired by seeing him play there with the, with markovich and, and and hurley that I, I i wrote the pas and i said hey um i would really like to get in touch with john s pratt and they responded because I was a member, and mm -hmm. uh, they said, "Here's his uh, here's his address in in New Jersey." So I wrote him a letter, and then I didn't think about it for a couple of weeks. And I came home from dinner. It was like late at night, and there was a message on my machine. Mm -hmm. This was a while ago because it was before say, a cell phone, baby. A letter and <laughs> machine. Okay, a letter know, right? written on paper. This was a while this ago, is, man. This is paper. This, this is, is paper. You see right that here. thing right there? That's paper. Yeah. So he calls me up. He's like, hello, this is John S. Pratt. And uh, he invited me out. So I went and had a lesson with him. It was one of the most ex exciting experiences of my life. And he, he wouldn't let me pay for the lesson. And then he took me out to dinner. Wow. We played in his kitchen for seven, eight hours or something. Oh, my God. I think I went over there before lunch. We had just grabbed some lunch, and we played all day until I was worn out, and he was 72 or something. And we played yeah. in his kitchen all day, and we, it was really a moving thing. And then we, we became really fast friends, and we, we stayed connected. And I had the opportunity, since I was working with Hal Leonard, um, to bring a lot of his music that was unpublished or had been out of print over to Hal Leonard and we managed to do that um, he he had some he had some agreement still with Alfred's publishing and the, he got out of that finally uh, I think he had some uh, correspondence with Dave Black and he, he was he was telling me yes I got these letters from Dave Black and we're, we're getting everything so we republished a lot of his stuff from the 50s recent well it's not recently it's a number of years ago now oh nine I think it was it was the 50th anniversary okay I think uh, uh, in the overall arc of things, I would argue that's relatively recent. Yeah, man. You know? Then, then I pitched I pitched a DVD to to Hal Leonard, and they said yes, and I was uh, really excited about that. And we brought him in for four days to Wisconsin. He and his wife came by train, and uh, we did that's some crazy. drum clinics. We did a drum clinic at Casio Music in, in New Berlin, and. Uh, uh, another one in a music shop in, in uh, West Bend, Wisconsin. 
And what else did we do? Oh, a workshop at MATC where I used to teach mm. there at the college and had some high schools come in. And uh, then the fourth day, we shot a video at uh, Tanner Monagle in Milwaukee. And uh, on the DVD, there's a picture of him there yeah. uh, drumming. And that wall behind him is uh, my friend John Tanner's studio uh, where the old Blatt's building used to be. So that's the... Uh, the room they used to brew Blatt's beer, oh, and that amazing. wall back there, the Cream City Brick. Anyway, it was a pretty amazing session. Uh, I couldn't sleep for two days after that session. I was, like, super alive. It was, a, it was really great. Because I was excited we got him on video, you know, because he was – there's not a lot of video of this guy, and he was still playing pretty well. After, after the video uh, was put together, he became ill, um, and uh, – there was some. We were going to have some things happen, some more more activities and things, but it didn't kind of didn't pan out. And um, he's 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 ill today. Um, uh, but you know the things he taught me. I mean, I don't know. I can't even put them into words. Sort of like a father figure, really. So yeah, it was pretty amazing because he was a, a hero of mine and kind of came out of the learning how to read right and and being able to read. He came out from the books and became a real person because you know. You know, it's, you, you read all these solos and play all this music, and then you meet the people that are creating the music. It's it's pretty pretty moving. So he's this one of the smartest people I've ever I've ever met in my life. He he graduated. He was in the army, and he graduated summa cum laude from from uh, I forget the name of the college in, in uh, Jersey. Uh, went to school. He went to school at night. And then he taught English for 25 years in the public school systems after he left the army, right? So wow. he's really a, a, a really literate uh, yeah. person. Really That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a really moving thing. So, so yeah, we, we've collaborated on some, some projects since uh, a relationship started. So it's been great. And, and I was fortunate to be able to play alongside of him, kind of soak up the feel you know mm-hmm. the feel of of traditional rudimental drumming so i'm i've always always super into it and now i'm like over the top man my wife's kind of like well, <laughs> you play some other kinds of music you know <laughs> you're playing that rudimental drumming let's play some other stuff so anyway um i get i get a little overexcited about it i guess yeah it's amazing how helpful it is to sit down with a lot of those books that you know, Bob Brighthop was like, okay, here's a list of the books. And yeah. there's the 14 solos. and It was on his all. list, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure. Mm. All those books. And again, I still have them. And when I, and all I do is drum set play, you know. Mm. That's, well, his solo swing, though. We were just talking well, about I, that, I, right? I, Again. You swing I, him. You play the bass from my core, you know, steal a 2-4 hi-hat going on, you, you know. Um, yeah, right. Play my friend Norman on the drum set and play those accents on the toms. You got a solo. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I I, I find myself just going back to just can I do this on the snare drum and how do I get this clean this up really make it strong while I'm sitting behind the kid, mm-hmm. not sitting at a practice pad, but getting all exactly. those dynamics. And it's almost like an evaluation to see where my hands are. TV generation, I, I came up seeing Winger on on MTV. You know, yeah. with a rotation of like the biggest names in music. You know, Michael Jackson and 
you know, at the time we had you know, Madonna and Queensryche and yeah. it's probably the like what early nineties, late eighties. Yeah. So Winger, they're like music heroes from from those days for me. Um, and all the players in that band, I always respected their playing at a high level. And so um, I had those records when I was younger, and 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 then I went off and and studied you know jazz music for a lot of years and played strictly jazz for quite a long time, and kind of didn't think about uh, rock music for for a while. But uh, Winger came back in in the early mid two thousands and put out a new record. Uh, to I can't remember the year. Winger four, and uh, we picked up the record and went to see them. I played the Hard Rock Chicago, and and I couldn't believe I was seeing Rod Morgenstein play and and Red Beach and and Kip at these high levels. They were just truly amazing. So uh, some years went by, and then Kip played a solo gig in uh, near Green Bay, Wisconsin, and we went and checked it out. And he was playing all by himself with an acoustic guitar, a twelve-string acoustic guitar, and uh, had a really entertaining show. It was really funny. Uh, and I had this weird feeling after the show when we left. I'm like, just this weird feeling like something, so there's something about this that's, I don't know, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I told my wife, I'm like, I feel something. <laughs> there's some mm. kind of thing. So uh, we went to see, see him play uh, again. And uh, one of the gigs, he came out for a, a meet and greet and, uh, I know I laid my CD on you uh, yeah. to d- today, and yeah. uh, I did that with Kip. You know, I I always try to network with you know and meet people, and uh, sure. I always think of my CD as like a business card yeah. nowadays. So anyway, I, I gave my CD to him, and I said, "Hey, uh, I play djembe, and I know you know you have some djembe on your records. Maybe I could sit in because as a jazz musician, I I would sit in with everybody I could, you know." Yeah. And go go to New Orleans and go sit in, you know, or go down the street and go sit in with someone. Yeah. So I got to sit in. He, he was kind enough to let me sit in, and there's a whole story there I won't go into, but it was it was pretty funny because he kind of, at least I felt like he was just kind of testing me to see if I could could swing it, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, I sat in that night and uh, it was fine. And then uh, whenever I had vacation. Uh, f- uh, in the summertime from mm-hmm. school and everything, we would go through the Midwest and I would just take my drum and I'd go yeah. sit in and I'd message him and I'd say, hey, uh, I'm going to be in Chicago tonight. Um, I'll see you at the gig. Can I sit in? You know, I'd always ask, "Yeah, is it okay if I sit in? And so we developed this rapport and it would be three songs and then it was five and then it was seven and then it was 10 or whatever. Wow. And then... I, I, we were both really, really digging it, and I was just floored too because this is a guy I, you know, came up listening to, and right. here I'm, I'm getting to play with this guy, and I love the music. The songs uh-huh. are great, and he has a whole bunch of uh, solo records too, and we, we play those, and I, I adore those, those pieces of pieces of music. But um, it got to be kind of serious, and it was kind of organic, and then finally, I think. I think the the big one for me was uh, he called me to play in, in Indianapolis, and I was just like, and he hired me to come down and play. And I'm like, this is great, you know, maybe something will happen uh-huh. like this. And then it's kept going like that, huh. so it kind of evolved. And now I play the show. Um, 
we seem to have practiced on the gig right, <laughs> through right, the years. Right. And if, yeah. you ever met, if you ever meet anyone that comes to a Kip, Kip's fan base, there are a lot of fans that come out um, yeah, like every 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 gig almost. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some shows where we see a lot of the same people and there's like a community of, of fans and a lot of great people in that community of fans. So they'll tell you the story and they saw me coming up doing this. So it was over a period of years. I was going to say. And uh, yeah. over the last, what, five years, it's been four to five years, it's been really steady. So then, uh, let's see. I, th- I think one of the bigger gigs that he had me on was... Um, uh, in San Francisco there at uh, the Fillmore. And when I played there with him, you know, that's the stage that Jimi Hendrix played on and Miles mm-hmm, Davis and mm-hmm. um, Ornette Coleman and a lot of my jazz heroes. But then, you know, Foo Fighters are there. You know, yeah. I mean, you look at this, uh, the Fillmore, and you, we walked around the space and like the whole, every wall in that place is filled with these amazing Janis Joplin, Grateful Dead posters. Of all the people have played this venue. I'm like, wow, you know, this is getting serious um so i think we were we were somewhere on the road in ohio or something and we were having breakfast and here's me complaining about the wisconsin weather and stuff and saying i want to move and he looks at a he looks at us and he's like you know looks at me why don't you just move you know and and i'm like yeah we were thinking of you know i want to get to some place where there's a lot of music happening and i want my career to to keep evolving he goes why don't you just move to nashville be done with it Mm -hmm. like oh because I had really not thought about it. It wasn't high on my list. I was thinking L.A. and mm-hmm. uh, maybe right. Vegas or something. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to get somewhere warmer. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but, not um, muggy and hot. <laughs> you know, so we made a few visits to Nashville, and I I kind of fell in love with, with a lot of the people I met. The people are so nice in Nashville. And you're, you're not from, from Nashville originally. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a Midwesterner, and, yeah. and it's it's a different vibe yeah. here, um, and I really like it. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, it's been it's been a good it's been a good move, but it's it's a pleasure to play with them. And if he ever hears this, he'll be uh, upset with me because he's a very modest overall uh, fellow. But he he's an amazing musician, unbelievable mm, musician, I and I, it's a pleasure to be on stage with him. He told me one night that he looks over when he's playing with Winger and he, he's playing and he's he's playing with Rod Morgenstein. Yeah. And he said, every night I'm on the stage, I can't believe I'm playing with Rod Morgenstein. That's cool. And I haven't told him, but I, it's like every night I'm on the stage, I can't <laughs> believe I'm on the stage with Kip Winger, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, the guy's just super accomplished. He was up for, uh, he, he went number one in the classical charts recently, last uh, two, two years ago wow. for a classical uh, composition. And uh, uh, he was up for a Grammy last year, in 2017, for a contemporary classical. He's a composer. Oh my god! As well, and he's 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 just amazing. I mean, because he can sing his ass off. Yeah. Uh, but he has this whole other world that he's he's into. Um, uh, it's just I don't know of many musicians that are as skilled as as he is so so to be on the stage with him it's a it's a pleasure and i hope it goes on for a long long time (laughs) it's fun so i play i play hand drums uh with him uh i play djembe and and cajon and it's developed into a a a show over a a period of years and it was like a real organic thing that grew into this 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 thing so uh so we're we're heading out the next couple of days. By the time you hear this, it have been over. But we're playing in Chattanooga tomorrow and uh, uh, Knoxville the next night. And uh, most most of them are a little farther away than 
the Nashville, but uh, yeah. pretty close this weekend. But I, I love playing with them. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I just that you're like the story of just how it evolved. Yeah, it's it's years. an interesting one. Uh, yeah. You know, truthfully, uh, early on when I was sit, sitting in, I thought, wow, this would be really awesome if something kind of developed, you know, if he would yeah. call me. Right. And then the call came. And then, so I don't know, what's the lesson in that? Um, I studied djembe when I was in college, uh, uh, University of Wisconsin, uh, by chance uh, that we, we had a percussion ensemble and I learned how to play djembe somewhat. And then I ended up, uh, when I was at Milwaukee Technical College, I ended up leading a percussion ensemble class and I taught djembe and then we had a drum circle. So I had like, you know, some miles on me for, for doing mm-hmm. that. And I think... I was saying before, you should have a diverse group of things you you, ha- you can do and have lots of things in the toolbox. Um, and I think as a student or as, a, as someone studying music, you should be open to a lot of things yeah. and, and try to not be closed off. And you don't know what you're going to use in the future. Mm-hmm. So everything you're learning is important, but you're right. not sure how that's all going to fit. Right, so, right. so for me... Um, you know, I couldn't have predicted that part mm-hmm, of what mm-hmm. I do. Uh, but fortunately, I had, you know, things that happened to me through the years that allowed me to be able to to play those instruments and, at, yeah. you know, hopefully a high level and make music with with those. I always think it's funny, you know, you look at a cajon. We were talking about cajon before, mm-hmm. I think maybe before we started an interview. Or maybe, I don't remember I, now. My, my student, my... Uh, you were telling me, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, and and I'm not good at cajon. But think about cajon, right? It's a wood box. And and, and and drummers are asked to play it all the time. It's and big now, right? It is, but I drummers most drummers don't like to play. I have a couple friends that are really good at it, yeah. And uh, and I think that songwriters and managers are going, oh yeah, this is acoustic. Do you own a cajon? Because that's what they've heard. Yeah. And and a lot of times I'll say uh, I've got a percussion kit that will yeah. work. Trust me, I won't take up any more room, and it'll sound. Better than me on a cajon, but it's like a wood. It's like a piece of wood. So I mean, you have to have some technique, or I guess, and you have to be able to make music on. Like if we took this table, yeah. right, right. We, you know, you that we grow up to, doing all the I mean, time. That's part of know. that's part of human nature, right? You get a pot and pan. Like we all do yeah. that, right? You get yeah. a pot and pan or whatever, and you make music on. Uh, I remember my wife yelling at me uh, years ago for playing the sink in the kitchen. Oh, I Stop do. doing that. Right. You know, you're driving me crazy. I'm like, this sounds good. This sink I sounds know. really good. I know. <laughs> listen to that tone. And, and, and the cajon is like that to me. It, you know, that's it's true. Wood, it's just a piece of wood. But, yeah. but it's how you play it and how you phrase it. So yeah, that's true. I don't know. If you make a, it's about making music. It's a, I think overall, for you know, for your listeners, I think... A thing I wanted to touch on was, you, you, as a drummer, you end up playing a lot of other other people's music. Yeah. So you have to remember that you doing you're doing that, and then you have to play you have to play things that are going to fit the music that you're playing, and and be somewhat selfless because you might not even like all the music you're playing, mm-hmm. but you have to make the music sound good. Yeah. And um, you got to pl- you have to play the song, and it's not always about you. You know, a lot yeah. of drummers have this hang up and they're, they're mm-hmm. filling every, you know, mm-hmm. we've all heard them, you know, they're yeah. filling every gospel chop lick they can throughout the whole song and they sound good, but they're overplaying the song, you know? Yeah. Um, so you, 
I think that's part of maturing as a as a musician. You have to play the song and remember that you're you're creating you're creating something that's bigger than just you individually. You're you're creating this. I mean, I think of music as energy. Mm-hmm. You know, not even though I write books, I don't think of all music as books and notation. It's like it's an energy that we. It's hard to describe in, mm-hmm. in words, but you mm-hmm. can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it. And as an audience member, you can feel it. And as a musician, you can feel it. That's what, and you know that as well as I do. That's what keeps us going. Yeah. Making that music and then right. having the feeling of you're creating something that, you know, is going to, is, is moving people. I mean, I, the coolest thing I, I, I like to see when I'm playing music is people tapping their foot or dancing oh, yeah. oh, or, yeah. you know, I've seen people. In the front line, in the front uh, of a concert, while I'm playing concerts, people are actually crying because yeah. the music got to them so deeply. That's amazing that they're in tears. You know, yeah. so yeah. I, I want to um, just make sure that people know about the books that you have. All right, thanks. And um, obviously, they'll be in the show notes and some oh. other things like that. Uh, how many books do you have out now? Uh, a lot. A I lot. Lost count. Okay. Um, one of the more recent ones was the Hell Leonard School for Snare Drum. And uh, in German, yeah, Hal nice. Leonard, the company, <laughs> my buddy Jeff Schradel over at Hal Leonard gave me this German version. I guess they printed a, printed a Dutch version and an Italian version, and he had given me this for fun. Ein Lag, I'm terrible. Uh, Ein Lagerang for Insteiger. <laughs> I don't know. I am terrible. I know Kleiner uh, Trommel is snare yeah, drum. There you go. Uh, my wife speaks German, so maybe she can read this to me and it makes sense. I'll have to show her. Uh, yeah, Hal Leonard School for Snare Drum, and uh, we we pulled a few Jonas Pratt solos into that book at the end, and uh, hopefully it's a, a progressive study uh, with some pedagogical. Uh, uh, development through there, and um, it's it's um, it's you, been. I, I've been teaching out of it. I like I like it a lot. Uh, there's a, Von Ben and Von, Von Ben Hans und Jana Frater. You would not be uh, Hans. You would not. You would, would be Hans uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Von <laughs> Ben Hans. Um, then I wrote some. You know, I've got some solo snare drum books. Mm-hmm. Um, we did uh, Jim Suri and I and Tom Schneller. Uh, Another musician with the Rochester Symphony. We did uh, a mallet keyboard book a few years okay. ago. Mm-hmm. That's in the Halloran catalog. And then some of these other projects I brought along just for fun. Uh, these are some things that, that I worked on. Um, the Pratt works, like I was mentioned before, the 128 Rudimental Street Beats book and the 26 Traditional American Drumming Rudiments. Those are things that we republished. Um, real quick, uh, this 128 Rudimental Street Beats book has recordings of Pratt at West Point. Oh, and wow. we were able to rescue those. They were, he thought his teacher Norm Peth had the recordings, and he did not. And I can't remember who he tracked down. Maybe a student of his or something. But um, he was able to locate the original recordings from West Point. And there's a CD. Uh, maybe it's streaming now, but in this in this particular copy is a CD, and you can That's hear amazing. him play it from the '60s. That's amazing. Um, I was really lucky. I worked with Joe Picaro on his books that Helena put out in the Odd Times book. What is this one? J- Joe Picaro's Grooving with the Odd Times. And it also is Drum Set Method. I helped him get those together. And then I did, um, there's, some, there's some other things, but um, I've done a lot of sessions for, for Hal Leonard through the years. And 
Love Real Oscar quick, Peterson. Yeah, Oscar cool. Peterson. This was a funny one, right? Um, Oscar Peterson signature licks, classic trio. So I had to be Ed Thigpen, which is a real big challenge. But yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, he's he's so great. I loved his playing so much. Man, thanks so much for doing this. Well, uh, I really appreciate you yeah. coming over here. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, so, it's been great to for... get to know you and to to kind of share this information with with people. And we're glad you're down here, man. Well, thank you. Welcome I, to Nashville. Thank you very much. Year and, I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. So there you have it. I want to do a shout out to Ricky Wagner, who's a wonderful guitar player here in Nashville. Ricky and I had a chance to work together, and as I was telling him all about the podcast, he told me about Ben and thought uh, Ben would be a good guest. And as he was describing what Ben has been doing, and I looked into that, it it was for sure just the, the perfect fit to round out this uh, diverse group of guests that we hopefully are able to maintain and offer you. So uh, many thanks to Ricky for making that connection for us and uh, a chance for us to introduce you all to Ben Hands and the wonderful work that he does as an author and as a player. He's got a great trio uh, recording. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, He just he sounds phenomenal. Also, in talking about all the rudimental drumming that Ben works on and teaches, got me fired up to pull out some of the the John S. Pratt books that I keep around and uh, get into that again. Hey, everybody, this is a series we're doing. We're going to keep track of Arjuna Contreras as he makes his move from Texas to Nashville. He is the drummer for Reverend Horton Heat. He uh, was on the podcast not too long ago. But a couple times a month, we're going to check in with him and see how he's doing and the progress that he makes. He's a wonderful drummer, and I think he'll do great things here in Nashville. But we just want to keep you up to date with some of the realities of making a big move like this over the next 12 months. So check in every week, and uh, we'll keep you up to date. Hey, Matthew. How's it going, man? Good, RJ. How are you, man? Good. Can you hear me okay? I can. Can you hear me? I'm still dialing this stuff in. Sounds good. You you drove in yesterday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I drove yesterday, 10 hours. 10-hour 10 trip. It, it went pretty well. And, uh, of course, you know, like I was, you know, excited and energetic the whole time, so I didn't even need any coffee to stay awake or anything. And I pretty much just brought a you know, carload of stuff right now. Most of my, my, all my crap is still back in, in Texas in storage until, until I get a place of my own, then I'm going to move it all out here. So nice, nice. What's the first thing on the agenda coming up? Well, been letting people starting, starting today and we'll be continuing on, continuing on for a few days. I'm letting everybody that I know out here just know that I'm in town. Like I compiled a list of about 30 people out here, um, that I know. And, you know, I've, I've told in various, um, shapes and forms that I'm going to be headed out to, to Nashville. And, you know, everyone's like, Hey, get in touch when you, when you get here. So yeah. starting to send out text messages and phone calls and, just trying to reach out to everybody and and see what's happening. You know, I'm I'm only in town for a week right now. I go back out on the road next okay. week for for a couple of weeks. So <clears throat> I'm gonna try to get as much you know communication going as I can in the next couple of days. And um, you know that that's step one, I guess. Yes, excellent. Well, uh, hopefully uh, this will help as well. We'll post this uh, yeah. for the episode this week. 
and Zach will use this audio as well. For uh, we'll do this every two weeks, so we'll check in with you. I think a, a, a couple times a month will be will be spaced out in such a way that you'll have some information or some news, uh, even if it's uh, nothing super relevant. But it's 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 all realistic, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm excited you're here, and I'm 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 happy. I'm so glad that you that you want to participate in this experiment with us. I think it'll get some people yeah, fired up. I am, yeah, I am too, man. I'm really I'm really looking forward to this, and uh, you know, it's going to be uh, you know, it might not all be good good info that I'm giving. I might be like, oh man, I blew it on, on this or whatever. But oh no, you want it yeah. to be real. It's going to be real. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. On this audition or whatever. <laughs> That's hilarious. Welcome to Nashville, and uh, we'll be in touch. Great. Talk soon, Matthew. Okay. Thanks again, brother. Talk to you soon, man. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Stay tuned next week for Zach Albetta's interview. Many thanks again to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance. Many thanks to those of you who have donated to this podcast through PayPal and through the Patreon page. We appreciate your support in allowing the three of us to keep this up and rolling. But for now, thanks so much for listening, and I hope to see you around. Bye-bye.